know, the first settlers here. They put bounties on wolves' heads, brought the natives into it, made them hunt them. Didn't take them too long to kill them all. Everything gets a return. I don't get to meet new people very often. Because I want it. I want everything you have. Can I keep a little of it? Just to get me through a day or two, you know, just to keep me alive? I'm taking you too. And you're not exactly going to be alive. an infection. I was breaking into a car and cut myself on a rusty bumper just like that. It's not unfair or just. Nothing's unfair anymore. You need to know it's safer out there than it is in here. Start moving. Start moving. Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz from Walkie Dead Now, and it is my honor tonight to welcome our very special guest, Benedict Samuel, who Benedict played, Samuel Owen played Owen of the. Uh, sorry, we played uh, Owen of uh, on The Walking Dead as well as Jarvis Tetch on Gotham. I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Are you getting that as well, too, Benedict? No, it's not coming through online. Okay. Clear, yeah. Okay. Well, again, Benedict, thank you so much for agreeing to be here with us tonight. It is our pleasure. First question, right out of the gate: Were the wolves a complicated group that viewers just did not understand, or were they just a group of people who completely lost all touch with reality? I mean, I think uh, I think a bit of both. I think perhaps. Uh, there was an attempt to, to do something larger, to do something that sort of changed philosophy, changed an attitude towards the whole apocalypse situation. But uh, I definitely think they're full of chaos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, was the mentality to kill people and allow them to turn, hence the W that we saw on the walkers, or was it to just kill them in a manner way where they did not come back? What was the wolves' mentality on freeing people? 
I think uh, I think it's interesting. I think the W's on the on the walkers is a sort of um, you know um, psychological warfare tactic. Oh. You know, the, ah. the sort of leading up to the reveal of the wolves, you start seeing W's all over the place and walkers with with it in their foreheads. And I think it is a bit of a calling card. And I think the notion is to turn people into a new world where, you know, the, the wolf voice says, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, and I think that sort of hints at a deeper philosophy here that it's a choice. Yeah. You don't have to go along with this. You can be free. You can join us. You can do what you want. And I think that's the sort of wolf mentality. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, as a group, did the wolves have any interest in growing their ranks as, you know, like indoctrinating new people? Or were they fine with the numbers they had, they had no interest in adding? I think uh, I think if anyone wants to join the wolves, they're more than welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. Now, the... Uh, like I said, the mentality was, I'm helping you by killing you. Uh, did they only target people who were trying to live a lifestyle that they believe had completely vanished off the face of the earth? Is that the people that they were targeting? Or was anybody fair game? I think those people, you know, and we're talking in, in the, the wolf mentality, that are sort of complacent and want a normal life. Well, there is no normal, and we're sort of experiencing it now. Yeah, normal, and uh, and I think by killing people who are involved in that mundane lifestyle, the wolves free them in that sense too. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, when you were preparing for your role as Owen, did the writers try to explain to you why the wolves were the way they were, and to sort of help you get into character better? No, there wasn't. There wasn't too much of a discussion. I think. I think they just came up with a really great idea of uh, a, a band of people who branded themselves, and and that in itself um, sort of opened up a lot of interesting discussions and possibilities. Uh, it wasn't as if anything was set in stone, and this is the backstory. It was sort of evolving as it occurred. And funnily enough, uh, it was only after the show, as far as I could see that I figured out that his name was Owen. On every script that I got, it was the W man. Really? Really? Yeah. Wow, okay, that's a great piece of information right there. Now, uh, as I told you in our little pre-talk before the show started tonight, your portrayal of Owen was spot on. Uh, how did you, as an actor, prepare yourself to think like Owen each time the cameras rolled, and how did you switch it off at the end of the day when filming was done? Well, I think um, it's you know it's it's easy for me to to switch off at the end of the day. I don't, I I, I never have taken any work home other than other than being exhausted or or being quite happy with the day. Um, but getting into the into the mind frame, you know, it's a puzzle trying to figure out how someone can be so extreme in their beliefs. And so you sort of look to other people that have been extreme in their beliefs. And not that not that I got everything from this, but I certainly watched a lot of interviews with, um, you know, serial killers and people that just had a different view on the world and 
a different philosophy and still maintained an ability to live a normal life aside from their nighttime escapades. So basically you studied the acts of like known psychopaths, serial killers to try to get into that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, gotcha. Now, uh, you came on to The Walking Dead while pretty much it was at peak viewership. Uh, we're talking an average of about 15 million viewers per week. Uh, how would you would how would you describe the atmosphere on set coming onto a mega hit TV show? You know, I I don't think I really understood the the sort of levity of it until we were traveling to set and outside the Alexandria compound were fans who were set up in deck chairs wow. with signs. Um, some were camping out and there were like police um, uh, barriers set up. And I was like, wow, this is like, people are, people are traveling to this place to like catch a glimpse of Rick or whoever it might be and and um it was only at that point that I realized that I was involved in something that felt mega. Was that an everyday occurrence, people camping out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, I did not know uh wow, I did not know that. Uh like particularly when, when there were like set um scenes, you know, like the Alexandria compound is a pretty physical place that people can find. Yeah sort of pilgrimage and all that type of stuff so that was that was pretty wild that is crazy uh when you were uh were you a fan of the show before you got to audition if not how much did you know of the walking dead before auditioning i i was a fan of the show and i had watched it uh then when i got the role i was like i need to watch as much as i possibly can and realize that there was so much for me to watch that it was near impossible to catch up. Gotcha. <laughs> I have to almost start from a couple of seasons before me to catch up, um, which is which is pretty fun. <laughs> uh, were you at all familiar with the comics at all? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I remember when, when it first came out, you know, the, the comic book was, everyone was sort of raving about it, AMC were all over it, and was creating a huge buzz that was really exciting. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Now, uh, Let's go now to the first scene that we pretty much see you. Uh, when you first came up on Morgan, you told him you was going to kill him and take all his stuff. Was uh, you and your buddy surprised when you guys woke up in the car Morgan left you in the next day? Uh, was that like the, like, whoa, what the hell just happened to us way that you portrayed that on the screen? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you know, in in that world, it's sort of um, you know, kill or be killed, and to be given a second chance, um, sort of uh, you know, puts puts the fear of God into you a little bit. I think. Yeah, Morgan definitely surprised the crap out of you. You were not expecting him to pull out all those moves. No. No problem. Sorry. No problem. No problem. Wow, I did not know, guys, all those that people were lining up outside of the set. Wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, now, one of your first scenes is, of course, with Morgan, Lenny James, uh, who yes. was also working his way back onto the show 
and would become a regular cast member. Uh, up until that point, and this comes from Lenny himself, a lot of fans forget that during the first five seasons of The Walking Dead, he was only on a total of three episodes. Uh, now, how would you describe your first encounter with Lenny James? Well, I mean, first off, he's just an absolute gentleman. Um, the the first encounter that we had, you know, he was very cordial and we, uh, you know, agreed with each other, except almost immediately we had to go into um, a, a stunt choreography. Uh-huh. So our was cut short. Uh, the stunt guys who have been on the show for seasons go like, okay, so we're thinking you do this and this and this and this and duck and weave and boom and boom. And, you know, Lenny's used to it. He's been working on the show before. This is like my first day in production office. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so I quickly learn. And they're like, great, that's good. Let's bring the producers in. And, and all the producers come in and they're like, all right. And it's like, and we, we did this big stunt, which is which is the fight scene. Yeah, see the, in the woods. In the woods. And that was my first real introduction to Lenny. And he was like, man, you killed it. This is going to be great. Uh, and then basically all our scenes were just fight choreography. You know? So we so we got uh, got to know each other really well. Um, but he's... He- uh, now, you did mention Stuntman. Uh, how much of what we saw on the screen was actually you and Lenny? percentage-wise, as opposed to it being the uh, stunt doubles? So I'd say with, with Lenny and I, it's probably probably about 75%. That's... So the, the real physical stuff of like, where there was that clip where he crashes through the table, um, those are stunt guys. So any, anything where you could get splinters or glass, yeah. that stuff is people taking their bodies on the line. But... But I would say about seventy-five percent, which I'm quite proud of. That's, that's a lot higher than yeah. I thought. Uh, definitely. Uh, now the wolves—they set up some elaborate traps. Uh, I would love to hear your theories as to why Owen and the wolves uh, would set those traps up. It almost seems contradictory to their very simplistic way of seeing the world. What was the point of the traps? I think the point of the traps is to sort of make uh, a, a larger image. So if there's a small group of people that can have this huge impact or this ghastly impact, then if you come across a wolf, maybe they're worth 20 people. You know, they, they, they seem larger, they seem scary, they seem more capable. And I think that's probably the psychology behind these traps is sort of attention-grabbing um, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And basically, it's to set fear, the fear of God on whoever comes across the walkers with the W or the traps. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, Michael Satrazimus uh, directed the se- season six mid-season finale when the Alexandrian walls collapse and Alexandria starts to get overrun. Uh that was your only episode that you did with Michael directing. I believe you did too with Greg uh, directing. Yeah. Uh, what was it like working with Michael behind the camera? I mean, amazing. You know, like these these guys are really in, or these 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 men and women who were who were directing on the show are just so at the top of their game that they have all these wonderful toys at their disposal and great heads of departments and 
just a bunch of people that are working really hard to make what has been 10 years of an incredible show. And so when a director comes in and they've got a great script and they're great actors and all the moving parts, people start to play. And that's, that's where the pleasure comes in is like, how are we best going to cover this and what's going to be most dynamic? And, and, and that's a really exciting set to be on when creativity is at the forefront, um, not just your back against the wall trying to figure out how we solve this problem. Uh, so that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised at the uh, actual structures, the sets that they had built for the show when you walked in there? Totally blown away. Um, you know, you're, you're just dealing with a mega machine. But when you step into it, uh, it feels like a family. You know? <laughs> uh, did they make you, did Andy like step up? We heard, we hear this a lot from the, the actors on the show. Andy was sort of like the leader of the welcome wagon. Did you, did he do yeah. the same for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you're, you're greeted with, um, such lovely people, you know, yeah. it was, it was, Really incredible experience. And they made you feel like a part of the family, like you belong very quickly off the bat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that, that was great. That sounds, that sounds great. Now, in your last moments, you decided to save Denise. Uh, by yeah. sacrificing your own life, you had a clear path to escape. But you go back yeah. to save her, showing us that maybe you had some good in you. Uh, would you have liked if it were, you know you were saved, maybe you got your arm amputated, and you saw your character having redemption as Morgan was always suggesting? Or yeah, I mean, that was that was a sort of interesting discussion. Um, you know, there, there were, I, I, I don't want to say it was half-half, but there were some producers who were really against um, uh, Owen being being killed off, uh, and there were others that were for it, and the discussion was hope. Um, you know what happens to hope if uh, we don't see this person change or develop, or you know, is that moment enough to see him change? Um, and so I felt I felt quite delighted to be involved in discussion where there were two camps that weren't sure should we, shouldn't we. And that's always a nice place to be as an actor because um, people care about what you're doing on the screen. Was that done like with you present or was it done behind and closed doors, the writer's room? It was done behind closed doors. And, you know, I'm not one of those precious actors who are like, oh, my God, they're killing me off. It's like, you know, you understand that you have a time and a place. And I felt like I fulfilled a really great moment in The Walking Dead uh, sort of annals of history. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was just uh, the worst time. You know? I mean, would you agree with me? I think Owen was a complicated character. Uh, he had his moments where it's kill, 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 and then you know we see these moments of internal conflict within him when he saves Denise. Why would he do that? It uh, it goes against what he was preaching. It doesn't matter anymore. Life doesn't matter. What are you you know trying to do here? Did you like that complexity to Owen's character? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's the inconsistencies of people that make them interesting. Yeah. If you're just one consistent note, uh, you know, 
I understand. Whatever. We move on. <laughs> gotcha. Now, would you say Owen really believed in freeing people by killing them? Or was this just part of his manipulation to give something for his people slash followers to believe in? And he just enjoyed having the power. He enjoyed being the leader of a group. And he enjoyed manipulating them. I think you're spot on there with that last point. I definitely think he enjoys the manipulation. I think, uh, you know, if, if, if there's a threat, um, people can do what you want in a way. And I think that's what he's totally capitalized on. Whether he, whether he pulls through or not, it's the, the fact that he might. And the fact that he doesn't all the time, again, is that inconsistency. Well, if not this time, Maybe next time. Gotcha. And if not next time, maybe the other time. Gotcha. Consistency gotcha. keeps people in line. Gotcha. Now, uh, that's what you made the wolves uh, believe. They were indoct- indoctrinated into that belief. But do you think Owen uh, 100% believed that or as well? Or again, did he just play that to his advantage? I think he'd like to believe it. But I think he's a realist, uh, and I think deep down probably didn't believe it. Okay. But it worked. Helps. It helped him. Okay. Uh, if you were to rewrite Owen's fate, would you see yourself joining Alexandria, or is it true what you said that people never change? Owen's quote: "People never change." <laughs> I think if I was rewriting it, I would have had Owen seemingly adjust to life or if you'd have seen him plowing a little vegetable garden <laughs> all the guards and everything and then totally undoing it from the inside gotcha gotcha now uh was there any cut co- now you sort of answered this before uh but basically my question was going to be uh did, were the writers debating keeping you on board? And you basically answered that, that they were split 50-50. Uh, the writers, the producers, some wanted you to stay on, and others said, no, it was his time to go. How long did that whole exchange last before they settled on a decision that, okay, Owen's going to go? I'm not really sure. It's sort of, you know, the the people that, that told me that there was a discussion sort of told me after the fact, and... You know, that's not information that I needed to know, but it was also nice to know. But um, I don't know what the exact time frame was, um, so I can't really answer that clearly. Okay. Now, how did it feel for your character to meet uh, Owen's demise by a combination of characters, including the walkers who initially bit you uh, when you were trying to save Denise, then you were shot by Carol, uh, and then you were, when you reanimated briefly, you were finally put down by Morgan. So you had a combination of Walkers, Carol, yeah. and Morgan. All three had to take, take part to kill you. How does that make yeah, you feel? Yeah. So, an edge of, a badge of honor. Really. <laughs> but I did, I did think it was really nice, story-wise. Uh, it was Morgan that um, sort of dealt the, the coup de grace because it's, um, it was done out of um grace and Mm -hmm. and humility you know it wasn't a vicious thing yeah it was to you know to to put him out of his misery and i thought that was a really nice part of the story 
Yeah, you know, and that leads me to another question. Uh, I mean, you like the fact that of all these Alexandrians who your group came in and viciously slaughtered, that there was at least one member who was, uh, you know what, all life is precious, and he tried saving you uh, to the yeah. dismay of Carol. Uh, but as far as storyline goes, did you like read that? I'm like, wow, this is really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, the, the Walking Dead success is its moral compass and how it gets bent or broken or reshaped. And you have so many of these great characters living under duress or trying to survive or finding hope or love or inspiration or strength. And I think that's the real strength of it. And to be involved in those scenes, to be a character that um, causes divide and, um, you know, ripples throughout a, a community of a show, as an actor, is a really wonderful thing to be a part of. Mm -hmm. you know? The villain is always great. That's what, we, that's what I hear over and over again. Our people, they prefer playing the villain. They say it's a lot more fun. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, now, we talked earlier about your interactions with Lenny James. Let's talk a little bit about Melissa McBride. Uh, what was she like to work with? She was great. You know, like, like I said, every, every, it's, like, it's like the, the whole one, the whole crew, like, vetted everyone. So there's not, there's not someone in the machine that sort of puts you off the wrong way. It doesn't, doesn't matter what part of set you're in. You know, every, everyone just really enjoys the show, likes the show, and enjoys working on it. Um, and that comes down to all the cast, too. You know, it's, a, it's an honor to be involved, to be a part of it. Now, we have heard from many different people that uh, Melissa McBride has a really bad case of the giggles in between scenes. <laughs> she could be shooting the most dramatic scene, but in between takes... Uh, Michael Satrazimus, who was a guest on our show, said the hardest time he has with her is just making her to make her stop laughing. D yeah. Did you witness yeah, that? I, you know, you're sort of staring intently at someone and then it's like, and it just starts <laughs> with a little, like, a little noise. <laughs> and then she breaks out into full-blown laughter. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you auditioned for The Walking Dead, did you just send in one audition tape before they told you that you got this role whose name you did not know? Or was there more to the process? And how long did it take for them to get back to you and say, all right, you got the role? Yeah, I, I think it was a pretty quick turnaround, actually. I um, So I, I, I got the audition, and it was a, it was a monologue. And it was um, what they call a faux side. Mm -hmm. So it's not from the script. Yeah. Uh, but it's written with the intention of, or the flavor of what it might be. And um, it was just a, a, a long monologue similar to the campfire scene, um, talking about how wolves were sort of hunted out of extinction or to extinction and slowly came back living side by side with their, with their enemy, with man. Um, and send that off and most auditions you despite how much you wish you get them at least i do i send them off into the ether and then i forget about them because i feel that's the healthiest way to to progress and i think about two and a half weeks later i got a call saying hey ben you remember that um 
show the walking dead and i was like yeah yeah, yeah i remember like your audition for the wolf or you got it and you're gonna have to be in georgia in three days and i was like great i'll pack my bag let's go were you in <laughs> australia at the time or were you in the u.s no, I was in Los Angeles at the time. Okay, okay. Uh, that's good. It wasn't that long of a commute. Uh, wow, okay. I mean, I could just imagine, you know, you send in an audition tape. I mean, you didn't actually audition in person. You just sent off a tape, and then a couple of weeks later, hey, Ben, you're going to be on The Walking Dead. Pack your bags. I can't even <laughs> begin to imagine what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, it's totally surreal. You know, you get swept up in this in this big machine, and and it's wonderful. You know, it's a it's a lifestyle that I really enjoy. So, I mean, you already said you did not know the name of your character until even after the show, your your scenes were done. Uh, at which point uh, did you know at least the type of person you were going to be playing? I mean, when was that revealed to you? What I meant was that uh, Owen was only a name that I found out after the fact. Okay. And I'm not sure who, who came up with it. But it was never on any script. No. It was always the W man or the Alpha Wolf. And I was like, oh, okay. Good. But, uh, but yeah, I was like, you played Owen. I was like, who? Who's Owen? <laughs> <laughs> like Owen from The Walking Dead. I was like, oh, is that what they're calling him? Now? I, I didn't know that. That's a one way to find out the name of your character. All right, let's switch gears and talk to some Gotham, okay? You played uh, Jarvis Tetch, a.k.a. the Mad Hatter. Uh, not one of the most notorious DC comic villains, but man, he was evil. Uh, no other way to describe the man, the Mad Hatter. Uh, how much did you know about that character of Jarvis when you went in for that audition or the tape that you sent in? Well, I, I obviously knew the Mad Hatter. So this is what's interesting about the Mad Hatter is that he's one of the oldest characters yeah. in the in the Batman universe and one of the only characters that comes from another popular literature which is Alice in Wonderland yeah so most of the other uh, Batman lore is within its own world mm -hmm. um, and so I found that particularly interesting that here you have because the Batman world is so rich and the lore is so strong and then I was like, well, hold on, there's, there's a character that's taken from another book, another great story, and brought into the Batman world. And I think that happened in the 1950s, or the first time the Mad Hatter appeared. I could be wrong, so don't... don't uh, no, I, I think you're right. He is, you're absolutely spot on that he is one of the oldest villains in the, yeah. in the Batman comics. Yeah. Uh, and it's really see you know um i guess pop culture and then sort of fantasy literature sort of start to take things from each other and, and start to melt and then we're talking about doing a modern tv show and before batman the city that births batman and so it starts to become really interesting all the things that are at play but funnily enough that audition that i did i was in australia when i auditioned for it oh and I was in Sydney at the time. I had my, it was like a quite a pressing tape. They said, you know, they're making the decision in the next couple of days, so you need to get this tape in really quickly. And uh, so I did this tape, sent it off. I got notes at like, you know, two in the morning because of the time difference. Woke up quite early. I was like, 
to my friend Nadim, we got to do this tape again. We've got some notes. And then about a week later, they're like, you're going to fly to New York. You're going to spend six or seven months there. So you got to pack your bags. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so, all right. So I had a week to sort of tie up everything in Australia and move to New York for like six, seven months. I, I mean, I mean, I, I... How did that make you feel? You're you're not just going on to Gotham to be in a limited just three episodes or five. You were on from seasons three all the way to the final season, uh, which yeah. was season five. Uh, recurring yeah. character on and off. Um, yeah. How does that? I mean, how do you feel about that? How does that make you feel that you were just such a huge part of that show? Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate. You know. To, to be a part of two really big shows that have a lot of followers and a lot of fans who really love uh, the show and love the characters and are so loyal to it. And, you know, it's a real pleasure when someone's like, oh, my God, you played the Mad Hatter. Or, You're the wolf. Or people go like this to me. It's like, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's nice to know that you have an impact. It's nice to know. What, whatever, whatever impact that might mean, it might be meaningful or... You know, it, it offers someone an escape or whatever it is. But the fact that people are appreciative of your work and watching your work is, I think, what most actors want is for their work to to be to be seen. Now, do you ever think about the irony that you know the probably two some of the two of some of the biggest roles that you've had both have comic book backgrounds? I know it's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, I thought about. It. Oh, wow, this is a really interesting world that we're living in. It is, it is. Now, let's compare uh, Jarvis to Owen, okay? They were both manipulative people. They had manipulative huh. personalities. What, uh, would you say that these characters are similar? Was this something that attracted you or prepared you for the role of the Mad Hatter on Gotham? I think, I think they're definitely similar in the sense of manipulation. I think there's perhaps more insecurity with the Mad Hatter. Um, you know, as, as Alice and that storyline sort of unwinds, he sort of becomes more and more unhinged. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think, you know, the, the Batman universe gives you a bit more license to be, um, perhaps a little bit more creative and a little bit more absurd um, because you're dealing with people that can freeze you or mind control. And, and so that sort of lends itself to magic realism. And whereas the walking dead sort of is grounded itself in let's all believe that this has actually happened right now. And what would you do in this situation? Gotcha. And so gotcha. years between those sort of two mediums, uh, is, is interesting, I think. Okay. Now, uh, Robin Lord Taylor, who played Penguin on Gotham, yeah. and, uh, you know, of course, you, both on The Walking Dead. Did you guys swap yeah. any Walking Dead stories while on Gotham? I, you know, I don't think I don't think we had a chance, but we, we, we were both like, we both sort of acknowledged that we both had the patch. You know, it was like, Walking Dead, Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it was, you know, it was a pretty crazy set um, just because there was so much happening and the sets were huge and we we're locking down streets in New York. 
and it was a wild experience. You know? it, was, it was it was amazing. So hold on, Gotham was actually filmed on location in the streets of New York City. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! So, so the studios are um, at the old Navy uh, seaport. Yeah. In Brooklyn. Yeah. Greenpoint, sort of closest to Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Arkham Asylum is actually shot in a semi-working asylum. <laughs> so as you're sort of told, like, just make sure you don't go down that corridor. You know, make sure you turn left on the way to the bathroom, on the way to crafty. Um, but yeah, we, we, we would like shut streets down in, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Queens, in Manhattan. See, that is, was, that is so cool to me. I'm from Queens. I was born and raised in Queens. Yeah, and, Queens. you know, of course we all know that Gotham is a fictional city, but, you know, Gotham is one of the nicknames that is laid upon New York City. And I, I did not know that they actually filmed on location in New York City. And for me, that just brings another level of authenticity to the show yeah. that was not there before this interview for me. You know, we were we were shooting in uh, Williamsburg, and I was living uh, on the avenue of Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. Uh, and the set was like two blocks over from my apartment. And I called production, I was like, hey, you know, I can see you guys from my apartment, I'm just gonna walk. Like, no, 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 someone will get fired if you do that. We have to pick you up and deliver you to the set, and there's a protocol, and I was like, but I, I can see you guys. Come on, what's going on? <laughs> and so I got picked up and driven two blocks. And I was like, oh. uh, you're like, okay, right. oh. I have no problem with that. Now, having been two completely different types of villains on both The Walking Dead and Gotham, brutal force versus mind control, which one of the two was more appealing to you as an actor? Sorry, you cut out for a second. Repeat that last part. Yeah, uh, like I said, you played two different types of villains on The Walking Dead and Gotham. One used brutal force, savagery, and the other one, the Mad Hatter, mind control. Which one of the two was more appealing to you as an actor? Uh, it's a, that's a really great question. I think I think as an actor, the the mind control is... Is more interesting just because there are there are subtleties and nuances and inflections and intonations and the placing of ideas and it's 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 there's just a lot more pleasure that you get from successfully landing those those points. Mm-hmm. Whereas the sort of um, physical nature of those fight scenes is that. It's stressful because you have to hit the mark because otherwise my weapon is going to hit Lenny and <laughs> I'm cold sheet than I am and he can't afford to be out. And so that's, that's a little bit more stressful because you're actually dealing with another person that you could actually hurt. Gotcha. And that's a lot of trust and a lot of diligence um, to be on point. It's like a dance routine. Gotcha. Now, uh, when it came to the preparation for both Owen and Jarvis, what differed in how you prepared as an actor to play Owen as opposed to Jarvis the Mad Hatter? Yeah, I think um, 
I think the difference, like I, like I, we sort of touched on earlier, was sort of delving into the sort of dark, evil minds of people that justify extremely unjustifiable behavior. Um, and so you're sort of down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Dealing with someone like Jervis, who is really on a one-track line, which is his sister. And then that splits when his sister, this might be a spoiler. No, it's okay. We have spoilers here. When, when, when his sister, in his eyes, is murdered by um, uh, James Gordon, then the track jumps. And now there's a one-track mind of like, James Gordon is all that I care about. And he's going to pay. He's going to pay. And so you're dealing with, essentially, you go down that, that line of um, someone who's on repeat. Um, it's the same tune on repeat. Gotcha. And I think the differences. Gotcha. You're dealing with orthotic philosopher who's a savage, dealing with a one-track psychopath who's crazy. Yeah. Now, in the DC, in the comic books... Uh, uh, the Mad Hatter, he really did not have any motivations. He was just crazy. He liked to watch the world uh, explode, sort of like the Joker, another famous Batman villain. In the TV yeah. show, they did add the whole sister, Alice, and the one-track mind of getting revenge on Gordon. Do you like that extra thing that they added in there for the TV show that was not in the comics? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it helped uh, make life for for James Gordon really difficult, and I think the viewers that's like one way seeing, to put it. You know, yeah, they like seeing James in a in a difficult spot, and you know, Ben Ben McKenzie is such a great guy. You know, we had pretty much all of our stuff together in in, in a similar way that Lenny and I pretty much worked exclusively together. Um, so we, we got to know each other really well, but, um, yeah, I think having that level of, of, um, of, of storyline sort of gave something else to Gotham, which is what's so beautiful about, I think the Batman world is that there are all these different potential storylines of things that could potentially happen. And that's why there are so many people who are like, well, you know, that didn't happen, but it also happened here and just creates a discussion and. Uh, there's nothing worse than indifference. Gotcha, gotcha. And I love it. I mean, I, you know, we've had this discussion here before. The Walking Dead was a comics. How boring would it be if the, whether it's a movie or a TV show, followed the comic book adaptation to the letter? I mean, yeah. that would be no fun. Exactly. Yeah, it'd be... It'd be these sort of springboards with a really great foundation, which are these uh, comic books. Yeah. They're incredible stories, incredibly well done, both from their story, their dialogue, their artwork, and then they give birth to 10 years. Yeah. You know? Gotcha. It's amazing. They give birth to, was it six six seasons of, of um, Gotham? Five. Five, five seasons? Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of time for people to invest, not only viewing but also being involved in them. Exactly. I mean, it was a big, big show. Now, uh, so Gotham, The Walking Dead, both big shows. 
in your opinion, having worked on both of them, what was the biggest uh, difference on the onset atmosphere between the two sets? I think the biggest onset difference was that um, a lot of a lot of stuff on Gotham was shot in studio, and so you can walk in early morning, and you know what it's like early morning in New York. Yeah, I'm talking before the sun comes up, and you can walk out, and the sun's still down, and you're like, "Where did my day just go?" <laughs> <laughs> Whereas because because of you know the Walking Dead being set out in these abandoned buildings and camps and all this type of stuff, you sort of have an opportunity to at least see where your day is going. Uh-huh. And in a way, not that it's bad, but in a, in a way, you know, that does have an effect on people who are indoors all day compared to people who are outdoors all day. What do you prefer? Um, I mean, you know the. It's the studios are air conditioned. That's kind of <laughs> oh, that Georgia heat, that Georgia heat that we all hear about. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult to say because when you're on set, it's there's nothing like being on set. You know? Everyone is is geared towards the same goal, and no matter what set you're on, that feeling is consistent, and I love that feeling. Everyone working towards the same thing. Gotcha. And that's what, that's what makes this business for me such an enjoyable business. Awesome. Now, you mentioned Ben McKenzie. I'm a big fan of Ben McKenzie, who played Gordon on Gotham. I, I, I was a fan of his from the OC. Oh, yeah. Like my me too. Favorite. Me too. When you actually did get to meet him, work with him, describe his worth uh, ethics when it came to, you know, action. Well, I mean, he... He's the number one on the show, you know. He's in every single episode. His wife is on the show, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I've got a family together. And so much is riding on his shoulders, you know. But you don't feel any of the stress. That's only as an afterthought where you go, oh my God, well, this, this guy is first in, last to leave in every episode, has a family, and you don't feel any of that tension that I guess some other people could rightly bring to a show, but he also loved that show, mm-hmm. and um, that enthusiasm um, permeated, you know? Got and then, and then he, went on, he went on to um, direct some episodes, which I was lucky enough to be in I think uh, I think two that he directed. Maybe it was one. I'm not sure. But again, here's someone who is now not only the number one and all this type of stuff, but is now in charge of this episode. And the way that he carries himself is sort of stress-free, focused, and um, extremely open. And um, doing some of the crazy scenes that we were doing it was really great, just to be level-headed with someone. Um, yeah, just a stand-up guy. Awesome. Love him. Awesome. So, uh, you know, Ben McKenzie, like you just said, he was the lead. He was the number one. Andrew Lincoln, the lead and number one on The Walking Dead. Were they uh, similar in a lot of ways or just completely different in every possible way, but still great human beings in different ways? 
I, I didn't have any any scenes um, with Andrew, but I remember he came on my first day, uh, met me at lunch, and was like, "Man, you know, I'm, I'm really fucking pissed that we don't have any stuff to do." Wow. It's like, "You're you're a great actor, and I want to work with you." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I mean, of course I want to work with you." Like, he's like, "Yeah, man, but I just wanted to, you know, introduce myself and." Let you know that if there's anything you need that you don't feel comfortable about asking other people, like just let me know and try the juice bar. It's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, like you know, he didn't need to do that. No. You know? Some. That's just a, sh a sign of, of what type of person he is, what type of man he is. You know? Yeah, what type of man he is, and uh, it also shows that he has respect uh, for the other actors uh, that are on the okay. set and. He, he is the number one, just like Ben was the number one on Gotham. And with it's Andrew... That, that, you know, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it is wild. Yeah, and they take it, you know, these are men who are sort of carrying a big load, like you just said, and they really go out of their way to make uh, incoming cast members feel welcomed, you know? Oh, and yeah. I think that's awesome. Uh, how much time did you spend in the makeup chair for them to transform you into Owen? Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty quick actually because, uh, they, they put this stuff, it's called dirt. It's not actually dirt, but it's a, it's a brand of, of hair stuff. So they dump all this stuff in. I, like I come with a washed hair, so I look like I'm from the seventies. My <laughs> hair's like this. By the time I get out of the chair, my hair's stuck to my head like a helmet. Uh, they have these little puffer uh, makeup machines that blow dirt on your face, and, uh -huh. and then the scar is put on at the end and then sort of painted. So probably about 30, 40 minutes in the chair, okay. um, which isn't bad at all. No, no, no. I, I've always, I, I'm fascinated by this next question, okay? You're Australian, and you pull yeah. off the, uh, you know, you guys have the accent, we don't. Okay. <laughs> How much voice training is involved uh, for whether you're Australian, British, whatever, to really nail the American accent in these movies or uh, TV shows? Yeah, I think um, you know it's 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 something that I'm always consciously aware of, and thankfully, you know my my theater training. I went to two different drama schools. Flinders University Drama Center in Adelaide, South Australia, if anyone's listening, mm -hmm. uh, and um, NIDA, which is in Sydney. Mm -hmm. So I did five years and, you know, put a lot of focus on our voice training and obviously America is, is Rome when it comes to the entertainment industry. And so the American accent is, is paramount. Um, there are still words where you catch yourself and you're like, you sound so weird. It's like, oh, that's not right. And it's a constant. It's a constant practice, um, but it's a deliberate practice too. Um, it takes time. Uh, you know, did uh, when Andy Andy said he you said he approached you. Uh, we yeah. heard that Andy stays in character, uh, at least with the accent, the whole day he's on set. So when he approached you, did he have? the Rick Grimes voice or the Andrew Lincoln voice? Yeah, I, I don't really know if I noticed. I think 
it probably had a bit of an American slur to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's British. Yeah, he's British. I, I'm just fascinated. I like that people like Hugh Laurie, Andrew Lincoln, yourself, uh, you know, we as and us like as Americans, uh, we see you on the screen. Let's say we don't know anything about your background. We see you on the screen. And then if we see you in an interview, we're like, whoa, you know, we're blown away. This guy's not an American. You know, he's, <laughs> he's Australian or he's British. And it just yeah. blows us away on how, I mean, I could not put off, pull off a British or Australian accent for the life of me. <laughs> so great job. Like I said, great job on that. I, for me, it's fascinating. Um, so let's see. We're almost, we're running close to time here. I want to get a few more questions. And um, you are currently working on an upcoming thriller, uh, Leave Not One Alive as well as a sci-fi thriller called Warning. Are you able to tell us anything more about these projects and your roles in them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, Warning uh, is a really interesting project. Um, it is sort of very Black Mirror-esque. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was actually shot in Poland, which, was, which is a beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, sorry, in Warsaw, in Poland, which is a beautiful city, beautiful country. And the first page of the script, this is what got me hooked, says, um, these stories are true. They just haven't happened yet. Ooh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is like fantastic. And so it follows um, eight different stories. I think eight different stories in eight different futures uh, of, of being. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm, I'm in one of them. Um, Leave Not One Alive was another film that was shot in, in New York with um, Melissa Leo, who's just a fantastic actor. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And that's a, a story about um, a suspected um, drug overdose of her son, which she gets obsessed with and investigates herself and uses... Um, her her evening performances in the theater as a, as as a as a disguise mm -hmm. to interview. Well, they both sound fascinating. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, at which point in your life did you decide? You know what, acting is the thing for me. I'm going to pursue it. And also, isn't your brother also an actor? Yeah, yeah, my brother Xavier Samuel is an actor. Um, it was when he started doing it. You know, I saw him on stage and I was like, wow, that's my brother. He looks so cool. And, you know, he'd come home and talk about stuff. And I was like, wow, this world that you're entering into is so interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I always say this, you know, if if Zave wanted to be an architect, we'd be we'd be building houses together. <laughs> I would I would have done what he wanted to do. So I assume he's your bigger brother. He's my bigger brother. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Uh, thankfully, gotcha. that was something that we both... Uh, uh, enjoy and and are not in competition with and don't have any jealousy or sibling rivalry. It's great. We support each other fantastically. That's a, the best. That's that's great. Uh, one last question. Uh, I know you're currently in the United States. How often do you go back home to Australia? Uh, so this year might be different. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. This uh, year everything is different. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I usually go back for Christmas and uh, New Year's, so around end of November 
around Thanksgiving time, head back to Australia, see my family, friends, and then usually come back uh, in in mid January. But you know, I'm not I'm not the only one in this position. But I think a lot of people are looking at the end of their year, going like, but yeah, yeah, different, you know. Yeah. And I think for the first time, amazingly and and sadly, we're all in the same boat. But maybe there's great strength in that, you know. Yeah, exactly. I totally feel the same way. Uh, anything beyond tomorrow is a big unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. I really thought 2020 was going to be different. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are out of time. Benedict, this has been a fascinating hour. Thank you so much for joining us. We learned thank so you. much. Uh, thank you so much from my team here at Dead Talk Live, from all of thank our you. viewers, from all the chats. Enjoyed this conversation very much. Guys, don't forget, if you haven't checked out, I know we are all Walking Dead fans, but if you guys have not watched Gotham, I highly urge you to go ahead and watch Gotham. Gotham. And I also want to give you a shout out to another movie you were in that I really enjoyed. It was The Stanford Experiment. Ah, oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. I love that movie. Uh, that's based on a true story, and that's a whole uh, that's a whole other topic right there. But I just wanted to give you a shout-out for that. Anyway, thank you so much. And please, guys, follow, follow me on my Instagram. I'll keep up to date with everything. He's got all the details. Exactly. But thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. I love Walking Dead. I love Gotham. I love all my fans. So thank you so much for making time. And please, stay safe. Stay safe, everybody and stay walking. Good night. <laughs>